1: As entrepreneurs and business leaders, we face our fair share of obstacles, but how we overcome them can be a catalyst to success later on. Isn't that the truth? However, sometimes we feel like we have to apologize or even feel guilty for our success. My guest today is going to remind us to be unapologetically ambitious. And that's an important thing. I mean, right now, some businesses are failing and some are going through the roof and you feel guilty about it. Now, Shelly Archambault is the former CEO of MetricStream, a Silicon Valley-based governance, risk, and compliance company. She also serves on the board of directors, get this, for Verizon, Nordstrom's, Roper Technologies, Okta, and is the author of the upcoming book on October the 6th, Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risk, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms. Shelly, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel.
2: Well, thank you, Jeffrey, it's fabulous to be here.
1: It is good, the last time I saw you was on a stage you sat next to me uh, with a couple of other titans in business and we were at Freedom Fest judging um, a Shark Tank event. That's right. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And we gave away a lot of money. And I remember that was the when we kicked off our angel investor fund was that weekend too. And we raised about, uh, I think, two or $4 million that weekend. So that was a good weekend. We need those days again. <laughs>
2: we do. We do. How the world has changed.
1: <laughs> so you were the CEO at a governance risk and compliance company. Now, I have to ask you this question. What was the biggest risk that you ever took In the business,
2: it was actually taking that job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Really? Why why was that?
2: Because the company I was hired to be CEO of was actually called Zaplet originally, and Mm -hmm. Zaplet. This was back in 2003. So, Uh post dot com bubble burst. This company had raised over a hundred million dollars during the dot com bubble, and when I got there, had less than ten. They Uh had less than two million dollars in revenue. They were losing money every month. It was just heading completely out of business. Nobody was buying their product. And I took what the What were job. they spending the
1: money? What were they, I'm just curious because hey, I, I know during those times, I, I can remember sitting there in during the internet buildup in the nineties, sitting with a young, young person, who I said, this is, uh, our fees are like a, a million, two million. This is what we're going to have. She said, I'll be right back. She went out, talked to somebody, came back and said, we're in for four. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's what it was like. Or, or remember that they raised money. Folks, are you listening right now? This is what the sure. used to be in the early days of the internet. People would raise godly amounts of money like that. And you know what they did? They threw parties. To celebrate that they raised the money, didn't they, Shelly?
2: It was, oh yeah, it was was terrible. We got into a, we got somehow into this spiral where people were actually incented to spend money faster. You know, because back then it was all about eyeballs. How many people can see your company? Not how many people were buying from your company, right? And that was the challenge. So everything just kind of crashed in on itself. And so this was a broken company. And I had to figure out, How to get a value proposition that people wanted, how to build a team that could deliver on that value proposition, how to go find the customers and then get the company launched. So it was really a restart. And, you know, frankly, it was the biggest risk because most people thought it was going to fail, but we made it. It turned into what became MetricStream, better name for business. And it's now a governance, risk and compliance leader around the world with over a thousand employees, customers everywhere. So. Yes, but it
1: was a was that huge the, risk. Was that what the core of the, of the business was or did you kind of pivot to that?
2: No, totally pivoted. When the company, when I took over the company, they had built software that originally was trying to make the email experience better. And then they pivoted and were creating a platform to enable IT organizations to build apps. Think of it as a development platform. Um, and then I took that platform and basically built it into a governance, risk and compliance platform upon which we built all the different applications to help companies manage risk, like audit and compliance and things like that for banking, insurance, healthcare, yeah. right? All those yeah. things.
1: All the things that are needed, because right now I, I don't even know who to trust, you know, a business <laughs> transaction. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of a $7 billion transaction right now, and we're dealing with attorneys from all over the world. And I'm, I'm asking simple questions like, have you met this person? Have you seen this person? Do you do you know their daughter? Do you? I mean, anything <laughs> to be able to make sure that we're dealing with the right kinds of people, right?
2: Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. You have to be really careful these days.
1: So I'm, I'm just curious. Before I get on, I want to talk more about your book and being un- unapologetically ambitious and successful. I want to. I want to really get to that. But uh, how many people in a, a year after you got there were with you? You know you know at the end or how many of the management teams stayed with you i'm i'm very curious by that
2: yeah actually from the time i got to the company we basically turned over the whole company yeah uh, it they was lost because, their way lost well, their way well what happens um, jeffrey is they were focused on something different you know it was a company that was building technology to sell to it departments and i turned mm-hmm. it into a company that was selling business solutions for the business organizations so In security and security. Yeah, ex- I mean yeah, exactly. to make them feel better. Yeah. Right. So you need a different skill set. Instead of, yeah. you know, platform people, and need app people, and instead of people who sell IT, any people who sell a business. So it was really a, a different company.
1: Yeah, and people who know the people at those businesses and the problems that they share. So exactly. Your up your, your upcoming book is aptly titled Unapologetically Ambitious, which is a by the way, a tough title for a guy like me to say <laughs> but What's what's the genus of the title? Have you had to apologize for your success?
2: Ah, uh, you know, Jeffrey, it's interesting. The title—it's funny. I had the whole book written, and I was still working on the title. I knew yeah. I wanted the word "ambitious" in there because so many times, frankly, women and people of color are told we're too ambitious as a negative. Um, believe it or not, I can't even.
1: I can't, by the way, I can't even. It doesn't even. <sighs> does, I mean, I, I'm, although I'm having conversations with with uh black men right now and one mm-hmm. of them in particular FBI agent who's who FBI agent for 30 some years and he tells me I ask him the question how many times you've been pulled over he said too many times to tell you you know and and most white people would go what the heck are you talking about we have no All idea right. so exactly. so uh, even when I hear that from you uh, yeah. I just can't even fathom that somebody would say that to you
2: yeah and now uh, that's true Absolutely. Absolutely. It's true. the American so that, and it's, dream
1: and the American way. That's so fundamental to what we do.
2: It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be, but you know, yeah. it means you're, you know, anyway, a lot of, we're expected yeah. to be more support, right? Not lead. So mm. anyway, so I wanted ambitious in there. And then frankly, the whole unapologetic thing, it's probably more of a female thing. You know, women, I swear, are raised to apologize. You know, we yeah. apologize not just when we do something wrong, But we apologize when we wanted to smooth feathers, make people feel comfortable, show empathy, right? Oh, I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry. And when I got married, I mean, I was married to my husband over 34 years. And in that time, I think he apologized maybe 10 times. I said to him, I said to him earlier in our marriage, I'm like, you never apologize. And he said, yes, I do. And I said, no, you don't. And he said, I do. If I do something completely, if I do something wrong, that's completely my fault. I apologize.
1: Yeah, well, he but that- never does he think it's fault. That's the problem. There, right. there lies yeah. the issue. Right? exactly. But let, me be, let me be clear, Shelly. I apologize every day to my wife. All so right, I'm, very I, good. I know <laughs> me, and I wouldn't be married to me. So totally do that. Yeah, it, it, let, but I. I there's a ahead. question. I. There's a question I'll ask in this too. I had a when I was at Kodak, uh, you know, a fairly large company. The and I seventy five percent of the people who reported me were women and people of color, but mostly women. It was almost well, totally women because that's the audience we quite 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 frankly serve. We were the chief memory officer, and the chief memory officer of a family is a, is a woman. So why don't you be reflective of the population you serve? That makes sense. Got to it. Me. Absolutely. Yeah. But we got in this whole conversation about bossy one time. Mm. Uh, that women are called bossy. You know, is that part of this kind of? uh piece that you're, t- you're, yeah. you're picking up on?
2: Yeah, the answer is yes, right? Yeah. It's, it's just all the things that people deal with. And by the way, you know, the book that I wrote, it's not it's just for women. I, obviously, it's a female point of view, but it's all the things that people deal with as they are trying to move forward and achieve their ambitions. Everything from imposter syndrome, right, to hitting mm-hmm. obstacles, to bad bosses, to you know, people who are undermining you, right? All, I talk about basically how to overcome all those things. I I talk about strategies and approaches and tactics that work. How do you go get mentors and supporters? How do you build that network to enable you to to move forward, right? How do you build allies? How do you get heard in meetings and at events, et cetera, as you're growing? How do you ensure that you are actually going after the job that will lead to the C-suite and not like off track? Um, All of those elements, because so many times people have aspirations but they actually don't have a way to achieve those aspirations. Right. So what I talk about is being intentional. And this is something I know you know about Jeffrey, but it's, it's about you do things intentionally so that yep. you're leading to an overall outcome, right? You set a goal, you put a plan in place and then you make decisions that are consistent with that.
1: Well, I need to be intentional here. I've gotten so wrapped up in this. I've already missed my first commercial break. Oops. Let me take a quick <laughs> break and I'll be right back.
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: Hey, we're back and we're live casting on LinkedIn and Facebook as I'm bringing to you all business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio. We're talking with Shelly Bo, the author of Unapologetically Ambitious Take Risk, Risk, Break Barriers and Create Success on Your Own Terms. And I think that's just awesome. Is this book just for women? No, uh, is not, it just for people of color? No, it's no, gotta be for no. everybody, right?
2: It, it's absolutely for everybody. And as I was writing it, I wanted to make sure, I mean, yes, I'm a woman of color, but <laughs> the experiences I bring are ones that so many people face. And even as I was writing it, I set it out to pre-readers, etc. of all types and got feedback. And so this is meant for any professional that has aspirations, is ambitious and trying to figure out how do they achieve their goals and aspirations, and how do they overcome some of the barriers that they face?
1: You know, you were also one of the very first African-American CEOs in Silicon Valley, and you have a compelling story. Tell us, tell us how you got there.
2: Oh, goodness. I'm actually a person who decided in high school, Jeffrey, that I wanted to run a company. And it was, I know, and it was clear to me very early in my life, based upon a lot of life experiences, that the odds were not in my favor. And then all I had to do is to look around and say, well, gosh, are there any people that look like me doing this? And the answer is not really, not back in the 80s. So I figured that I had to be intentional to improve my odds. How do I improve the odds that this happened? And so frankly, I did a lot of research. I call it homework. You know, homework doesn't end in school. Did a lot of research to figure out, hmm, what industry should I be in? I picked tech because it was a growing industry. And then I picked IBM because it was the Apple, if you will, of its day. And it, and it turned out every single CEO at IBM started out in sales. So even though I graduated from Wharton, I I took a sales job because I figured that that's the current, that's the path. Right. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, rose up through the ranks, got to the point where there wasn't anyone higher than me in the company that looked like me. My boss reported to Lou Gerstner, the CEO. So I'd done really well, but I thought, am I really going to become CEO of IBM didn't feel like it. So said, you know what, let me work my way ultimately to Silicon Valley. And I became CEO and built a company there after a couple stints at some growing private um, public companies.
1: Well, and now you're doing a lot of board activity and you, and, you know, and I, I read your, the intro, uh, your, the pedigree for that is just amazing. I mean, to be on those boards and so forth now, but it's not easy. Now, because I'm I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle a tough question. I might not say it right. So forgive me if I say it wrong. It's not to be in any way, um, to slight in any way. But, I mean, you've got some uh, some very visible assets. You're, you're a woman and you're African-American. Mm-hmm. And you put that on top of it, successful business person. Now, a lot of people say, whoa, that you've got to be very valuable for everybody to go and find. But it's not easy. For, no. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, you win the lottery. But from a perspective of looking at it like that, and I'm just being totally callous and totally transparent in that. You would say that's a very big plus. But, you know, but for a woman or an African-American, I got to tell you, there you can look around. There's not many of them on boards, period. Yeah.
2: Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. And, you know, it's just like becoming a CEO. I decided in my 30s that, hmm, there's actually a role that the CEO reports to. That's what I should be shooting for. And so I actually set out, you know, to build up the skills, capability and profile to be able to do this. So I I started serving on my first public board at the age of 42. Yeah, Um,
1: which is young for a a public, I I serve on publicly traded. I just got, just got uh, my lawsuit papers where I just got dismissed out of a lawsuit from a former board (laughs) I was on. Because when you're on publicly traded boards, you're always getting sued. Yeah, always getting sued.
2: Absolutely. People don't realize there's a lot of risk that comes with it, too. But yeah. it's, you know, but a lot of it's being intentional. It's understanding what are the skill sets boards need and look for, making sure you have those. And then looking for a board is just like looking for a job. You have to let everybody know you're interested. You have to make sure you're targeting, you know, the right ones and you meet the right recruiters and all, all those elements. Um, yeah. And then you have to prove yourself.
1: What, what do you think? Uh, t- let's talk a little bit about the imposter syndrome and how do you dismantle that? You, you got that in there.
2: Yes, I do. So, you know, I think, I think all of us at some point in our, our lives suffer from imposter syndrome, some groups I'm, I'm more than others. <laughs> exactly. He's in my hand. Exactly. Yep. And me, and me too. And frankly, even, you know, recently things happened that you still have a little bit of a like, oh my goodness, right? Is this really happening again? Right. Um, but the way that I treated it all the way through was fake it till you make it. You know, it's like you're acting like you're playing the role. You get, you try to get as prepared as you can be. And then you, whatever, walk into the room, take over the job, et cetera, and you act like you know what the heck you're doing until because you, you do. actually do. <laughs>
1: until you do, because when yeah. you, you know, I've sat in those rooms before and I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm going like, somebody should do something until I realized it was me, right? You know, <laughs> right. And, and you're in charge and you've got billions of dollars or hundreds of millions or whatever it might be. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to understand. But, but when you get past that, right? Mm-hmm. When you get past that and started getting a sense of, and I can tell that you have a real good sense of who you are and what you do. You carry yourself well. You've got the right kind of energy. It's all, all you got the whole package there. You can see it, you know? And, and uh, if, folks, if, you, you, if you've been around this enough, you can see it in a blink of an eye. You can see who has it, who doesn't, how they carry themselves and who's bullshitting you and who's not real quick. I mean, but when did you finally get a sense of, I don't have to fake it anymore. I don't have to play the role. I got it. And I'm sure enough about myself that no matter what comes at me, I've got this.
2: Mm, you know, I would say it was different, in all honesty, different phases. So yeah. in my, I call it, you know, mid to late 30s, mm-hmm. I had the sense of, you know, career at IBM, I kind of got this. I know what I'm doing. I'm good, right, et cetera. Um, but I'll tell you, when I took over the CEO role, even though huge risk the whole bit, Right. I thought, all right, do I really know what I'm doing? Can, can I really do this? You know, so it kind of hit again, right, with a new with a new level. And then, frankly, the first time I stepped foot in the boardroom was the same thing. I'm walking in, and listen, I'm the youngest by at least a decade of yeah. anybody in the room, and only African-American, and eventually only female. And so it's kind of like, okay now, right? You've, you got it again. Um, so it's funny. I don't know that it ever goes away if you keep pushing yourself. You know, what I tell people is remember every time you take a step up, you're moving to the bottom rung of the ladder of learning, right? Mm-hmm. You have, so it's okay to feel like you don't know what's going on because you know what? Yeah, don't. You, you haven't don't, done but... it before. It's okay. Right. Um, yeah. But I also tell people to surround themselves with, you know, advisors, cheerleaders, you know, people who frankly build you up right? And encourage you because so much of the world is telling you in all the ways that you are not (laughs) capable, right? And not good and not perfect and not everything else. You need people around you who actually remind you, you know what? You actually are pretty great. You actually are capable,
1: right? Did you have a sponsor at IBM? Did you have a, you know, and for those listening, what I mean by sponsor, it's somebody helps shepherd you, watch it, gives you air cover that kind of looks over at you every once in a while and say, hey, don't do that again. Or hey, speak up. You know, did you, and by the way, all of us have that. If you watch movies like, yeah. you know, Tom Clancy movies, you see that Admiral Greer did that for, uh, uh what, what's his name? Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Know? Yeah. They, yeah. Same thing. We, we all have those. Did you, did you have one?
2: I, I did. I did. And yeah. I ultimately probably had a, a few because a lot of times the good news is, you know, a good mentor can turn into a sponsor. You know, you yeah. can't ask anybody to sponsor you per se. Um, yeah. but if you do a good job, right? And you maintain and build the relationship, then people will try to be helpful yeah. and try to open doors. But uh, but I, I absolutely did. People who opened doors for me all along the way.
1: So you mentioned um, how ambition alone is not enough to achieve success. That's right. You know, what advice can you tell business owners who are gun shy right now about taking risk? Let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about taking risk. Let's take a quick break. I'll be right back
0: c-suite radio
1: hey we're back right here on uh linkedin and facebook as we're bringing you all business with jeffrey hazel live and we're taping an episode with shelly archambault the author of unapologetically ambitious take risks break barriers create success and your own terms and she is on the board of several companies like verizon's and nordstrom's and roper technologies uh, many publicly traded. Oh my gosh! One, two, three, four publicly traded, and they're also a strategic advisor for the Royal Bank of Canada. There you go. You have to speak French when you go to those board boards.
2: <laughs> no, fortunately, New York. <laughs> I work with the uh, capital
1: markets group. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's it's even better. Even better. I might even have my, my daughter's boyfriend might work there. I got to check on that. I'm going to do okay. that. Hey, I asked you right before the break. Ambition alone is not enough to achieve success. So, what advice can you tell business owners who are gun-shy about taking risk right now?
2: Yeah. Actually, in times of crisis, is one of the best opportunities out there because yeah. we were just talking about it before we started, Jeffrey. You know, Trends that were underway prior to the crisis get accelerated. And what that does is it opens up opportunities for disruption, for new approaches, new business models. So now is the time because frankly, as we execute through this and come out, those companies that have figured, taken the time to figure out how to capitalize on these new disruptions, these new approaches, the new business models are going to be the ones that really thrive. So now's a great time. Don't, don't just hunker down. I mean, yes, you have to make sure you've got your financials in order, that, you've, that you're going to survive. But once you've got that, now it's time to actually start taking some risks because risk and reward are two sides of the exact same coin. You don't take risk. You are not going to get the rewards, and the opportunities that you need to be able to build your company and
1: thrive. Yeah, exactly. Amen, sister. Amen. So uh, how do you change the hearts and minds about what it means to be assertive in the world? I, I you know, I am unapologetically assertive. I'm like a Mack train, a tr- you know, a, a Mack truck, a train coming at you all the time. I mean, I, that's my full, I have one speed. and It is full speed. So how do you, and, 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 and some people would say I'm probably not humble, but I I, I think I am. I think I am. <laughs> Um, but I'm you know, I'm big on brash, I'm bold, and that's that's kind of what I deliver. So, how do you teach other people to do that?
2: You know, it's interesting because you have to be a little careful.
1: Yeah.
2: So if frankly, if a woman had your full set of brash, bold, right, aggressive yeah. piece, It'd be tough. It would be really hard on her. Right? Yeah. It would be really hard uh, on her. You, because- you would have
1: she would have to have some very broad shoulders to carry that. I and by the way, I do too. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, but I'm six foot three, 250 pounds and and, uh, you know, I've been there, done that and wear cowboy boots. So, yeah, Yeah. yeah, I get it.
2: Exactly. But part of it is also just society, societal expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, women at the end of the day, you know, people still view as nurturing. Right. Because mother figure. Right. Or sisters figure supporting or this. I mean, people still have this view. So if women act completely contrary to the perception, that's when they have the most problems, frankly. So mm-hmm. with the reason I say they can't be as big, bold, brash, et cetera, um, or that it's much harder if they are, is because they are so counter from how society expects women to behave that that's when they get categorized, right? Or well, get, it's harder for them to get support.
1: Yeah, and they get categorized by the B word.
2: Exactly right. right. Exactly, uh, exactly right. So unfair, It unfair. is. It is. But it's also, unfortunately, for today anyway, it's still reality. So can women be assertive? Absolutely. Can we be aggressive? We can be. But we have to do it within our own style. We can't just copy in terms of a man's style and assume that this is going to work. And by the way, that comes down to a whole nother level when you talk about ethnicities, you know, Hispanics and African, we, we all, ha- everybody has these views, so that we have to unfortunately, um, figure out how to be successful, how to leverage our own personalities and approaches, right, within a way that can be effective.
1: Well, good lessons learned. And especially right now during COVID, it's making us take a look inward and outward and say, Hey, what is it we want to be? What do we want to drive? How do we want to show up and uh, you know, how do we live to our core values? And I think this is a great example of that. Shelly, again, the book's coming out in October, but but I'm going to have to have you back without question. This has been a fun session. You've been just a real, uh, a real treat to be able to have on this again, Shelly Archambault, Author of Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success in Your Own Terms. Go right now to Amazon and order okay. it before it comes out, okay? Pre-order yeah. this book. You're going to love it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to make sure I buy some and give some away uh, right here on this show because I'm unapologetically uh, supporting people who are successful, and this is the way it is. So, Shelly, well, thanks thank so much you. for joining us on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
2: Thank you, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure
1: at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I really enjoyed that. You know, I say this all the time. I enjoy the people I interview because I always learn something new. And I tell you what, my big takeaway, hey, you got to be bold. You got to be bad. You got to be bigger. That's what we should be doing. It's quick. Man, if you're a woman, especially a woman executive or a black executive or any executive, just be bolder. I love that. Be out front. Be, be transparent. My gosh, do I just find that so intriguing and so exciting and inspirational. Um, So just be the biggest, baddest, boldest version of you. That's what I ask you to do. I wrote a book called Think Big, Act Bigger, The Rewards of Being Relentless. And I really talk about that a great deal about being bigger and bolder. You know, somebody said, what's my favorite word? Bigger, bigger. You know, that's my, that's my word. So yeah, that's what I learned here today. It reminded me of that. And so I, I'm reminding you to do that yourself, okay? And don't forget, if you can do me a favor, go out there and be help me be bigger by telling more people about the show and uh, how to find us right here on...